Hello, you cat and dog people. This is It's Training Cats and Dogs, the show for people with both cats and dogs who want peace in their home and peace between their animals. I'm Naomi Rotenberg, your source of practical strategies for keeping everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. And today's episode is a chat with a very special pet professional about how they've used their expertise to manage the relationships between their own pets. And this particular guest's expertise has also inspired the work of many other trainers around the world. Today, I'm speaking with Leslie McDevitt, MLA, CDBC, CPDTKA, and she is the author of the internationally popular Control Unleashed series of books and DVDs. Her books have been translated into many languages. People all over the world have learned how to use her science-based and empowering methods to help companion, performance, and working dogs learn how to function optimally without stress in very challenging environments. If you have a dog that worries about stuff, other dogs, people, noises, the unexpected, maybe cats, Leslie has many fun counter-conditioning games just for you. Leslie is a popular conference speaker and runs her own conference, Conference Unleashed, which I can vouch personally is fantastic. And there's lots of fun costumes, (laughs) which showcases trainers, and she has certified to teach her material. Leslie spends most of her time these days mentoring the trainers in her certification program. She lives outside Philadelphia with dogs, cats, a bunny, a Morgan horse, two kids, and a husband. Hi, Leslie. I am so, so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Hello. I usually start a, an episode with a really quick icebreaker before we dive into stories about your pets and their behavior, because everyone wants to know a little bit about you as a human. So off the air, we decided that you were going to Tell me two truths and a lie about yourself, and I'm going to try to not F it up um, and choose the right one, which is the lie. All right. You ready? Uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> Tell me. I know. This is like always the, the most well, awkward part, but that's why it's an icebreaker. All right. Well, so tell me two, three things about yourself, or rather two, and one that's not. Okay. Um, my first pet was a cat. Um, let's see, what else can I tell you? I played harp professionally for a while. You played harp professionally for a while? That's that's one of the possible ones. Uh-huh. Uh, I dropped out of a social work program. That's the third one. Okay. As someone who personally dropped out of a PhD program, I hope that one's the right one. <laughs> I hope the one that I hope you did that. Um, let uh-uh. I'm going to say you played harp, but not professionally. I did play harp professionally, yeah, meaning I got paid to bring it. <laughs> Darn. Okay, what was the lie? Um, my, my, uh, green leaf origin always had pugs. I grew up with a million pugs, no cats. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> darn. Everyone else probably got that. Um, yay. Pug. Um, it's okay. I'll, my, my ego will, will survive. Um, and now I have to like dig up some facts about the harp. Um, so, 
Yay, that's really exciting. So when did you transition from professional harpism um, <laughs> to uh, animal stuff? Um, so actually, yeah, I, I went to school for creative writing. And um, I just, while I was in grad school, I started playing the harp because my best friend wanted to play it. And, um, we were really into, I played the, the folk harp. So we were really into like Celtic music and stuff like that. So we started taking lessons together and then we started like busking on South street, downtown Philly with our crazy long hair and our clo hippie clothes. And we were like 20 something, you know, and, um, that turned into like people asking us to play restaurants. We played a folk festival, Philadelphia Irish festival, Renaissance fair. We were just like having oh, a really God. good time. Um, at that same time I was still in school for writing and, um, a pen and right. I started adopting dogs. So they were my first dogs that I had as an adult. So, um, one of them, you know, one of them had so many problems and I didn't know yet then that you couldn't fix everyone's problems by just loving them and giving them nice things and it, safe home and so that led me on a path and then I became so obsessed with that path um I just put everything I had into it and started volunteering at uh shelters and I just I wasn't practicing my, my harp I wasn't um I kind of let it go and um I I do have a regret about that that now that I have kids it'd be fun to have you know like some live music going on and more of that but, uh, I, I, yeah, I let it go because, uh, I got to a certain point helping my dog and then starting to work with other people's dogs that like everything was that and nothing else. And, you know, I mean, I have, I have ADHD. I probably should have put that into the two truths and a lie one, except I think everyone knows that I, <laughs> that I have it, but that became my hyper-focus and it stayed my hyper-focus. <laughs> yes. Consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, Everyone has that kind of, oh, well, not everyone, many trainers have that kind of story where it's like, I met that dog and like everything changed. Um, exactly. So that makes for a great, you know, transition origin story. Um, and you, your kids are old enough now that maybe you can form a little band. <laughs> <laughs> My son just started taking ukulele lessons, so maybe I can. All right. Well, all the string instruments just go mash them together. <laughs> I would love, I would, I would go to that concert. <laughs> so before let's dive into, you know, the stories about your current pets. Um, tell me about the cats and dog. I mean, you have other pets too, um, but the cats and dogs that you're currently sharing your house with and kind of how they started gotten to the point where they are living together nicely right now. Okay, sure. Um, right now I have three dogs, two Border Collies, and one um, Belgian Terviren, which is a form of Belgian Shepherd, a big, fuzzy, German Shepherd-adjacent looking dog. <laughs> um, one of my Border Collies is going to be 16 in February, and he's mostly asleep. <laughs> And, um, I have a, like a five or six year old border collie. I say five or six cause she's from a rescue group. 
Um, and then I have my, my Belgian who is about three and a half. So they're the, the young actives. And then I have two kittens, um, who are about the same age. I, I got the first kitten. I was fostering her. She was very teeny tiny. Um, she was found in Camden. Her mom had been hit by a car. She was found with her sister and brother and, um, taken to a shelter in Camden. And then this really amazing group, uh, crabby cat Alliance, if you know them in South Jersey, um, they took her. So, <clears throat> I fostered her. My friend, um, got her sister and, uh, you know, obviously I kept her. That was my intention. And then I wanted to get another kitten to play with her. Um, and, uh, another friend of mine through green street rescue group in Philly, um, had a kitten similar age that had been found in a, box in a junkyard in the northeast meowing mm. um, you can tell i'm not from philly because i said the northeast instead of just northeast, northeast. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay so but I, i've been here a really really long time um so anyway i, I ended up taking i hadn't been planning on getting a, a second one but he came along and i knew that my kitten would enjoy a kitten her age so got him too so there's two and so they're, you know, they're the, the cat and dog situation right now. It's interesting too, because the kittens have really different personalities. Um, and also having gotten them at different ages, because I got my Calco kitten, Mochi, she was like very bold, just out the gates and just, uh, it was pretty fearless in terms of meeting dogs, strange people, this kind of thing. So I'm actually looking into um, doing some commercial work with her. Just applied for our first potential gig. Mm -hmm. um, You'll be a stage <laughs> mom. What? You'll be a stage mom. Yes. Because uh, she has the personality for it. Mm -hmm. And since she was little, I've been taking her like shopping at the pet stores and, uh, you know, just different places so that she gets used to being in different places and she loves everybody and she's not scared of dogs and um, she has a good personality for that. And the other one um, is super sweet and um, got along with her like immediately, which was a major criteria for keeping another one. Mm -hmm. um, he's more like, I just want to sit he sleeps with the bunny a lot, like all day. He'll, he'll sleep next to my rabbit. They're like best friends. He sleeps like in the little hay box. He like curls up and covers himself in hay and, and the bunny comes up and they sleep together. And he's, he's just a lot more like, um, laid back. Mm -hmm. And it, it took him a bit longer to get used to the fact that they were large, uh, wolf like animals in house. Although he, he is now, but, um, he just has a different, He's just got a different vibe. My other cat, I'll be surprised if she doesn't appear at some point because she's just like, ah, about everything. <laughs> That's okay. I'm surprised. Oh, no. Both of my animals are sleeping, but usually my cat is across oh, the screen. That could explain it. Um, yeah. My kids right now are on Zoom Hebrew school. And so it's possible that uh, 
the cats are climbing on them right now on their computers instead of me. <laughs> it's okay if she comes and hangs out too. So they're relatively new additions to your house. They are, because I had two older cats and I lost them. So yeah. Um, These the new, this is the next generation. The next generation. So you got both of these kittens as kittens, so they were a little bit malleable in their <laughs> behavior, I'm assuming. I mean, especially Mochi, because she was so little. She was, like, maybe, like, seven weeks old or something like that. And she was teeny tiny. Um, the other one, uh, Gigi, they're both named after, like, Japanese animation cats. Um, Gigi was, like, five or six months and hadn't seen dogs yet. So a big, a big difference, a significant yeah, that is big. I just had a question from someone who said, you know, I have a kitten. Should I introduce him to my dogs sooner rather than later? I was like, um, most of the time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah this is the earlier, earlier. The yeah. Unless there's some like extenuating circumstances. Right. Right. <laughs> unless it's like, oh God, <laughs> there's some clear reason not to. Um, right. So you mentioned to me that you have a specific method for introducing cats and dogs when they come into your house? Cause you have extensive experience with multi-species households. So can you tell, yeah. tell everyone about that method? Yeah. And I'll also add to that, that I've had a lot of cats, but I've also um, fostered uh, different kittens. And so I've done the same, a similar protocol with, with them too. So mm -hmm. that um, they've been adopted when, when they've been adopted, it's, you know, you can say, already are okay with dogs, you know? So mm -hmm. that's, that's nice too, if you're fostering. Mm -hmm. um, so I have different levels of what I do. Um, so I, I believe in doing, you know, the least that you need to in order to be successful. Like I'm so some animals might need a really high level of management and structure and others might not and so, you know, fit it, fit what my advice is to what your situation is. Um, and the thing about if I have training or management advice, it's always meant to be flexible mm -hmm. because I'm not in your house looking at your animals right now. And so I might tell one person do these three things, another person do these five things, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it changes. So, you know, if I say try this for a week and you don't need to, you know, I don't. So anyway, I'm not the kind of trainer that's like, you have to do it like this mm -hmm. um, because every, every animal is an individual and every home situation is, is different. But, you know, the main things are, you know, setting your pets up for success. So the first, the first piece of that is going to be management. And by management, I mean, you know, managing your, your space, so that nobody gets in trouble, you know? So whether that's like, for example, um, when I've had foster kittens, um, I'll, I'll put them in the guest room and I'm, I'll make like a kitten paradise for them in there, you know, like an enrichment, what do I call it? Kitten enrichment center, kitten enrichment zone or something. You know, I've got tons of stuff. I've got, um, if you know, those like snuffle mats, with like, you know, different pieces of fabric and you can sprinkle little cat kibbles in it and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they have to like look for it and 
all kinds of wood old toys and like tons of like cardboard. My kids love building cardboard box for us. We always have a million boxes. So boxes and I might put catnip in some of the boxes or a toy, you know, mm-hmm. beds, litter, food. So I've got a whole setup that's like self-contained. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the dogs might be on the other side of the door, like sniffing under it or the cat might come and put their paw under it, but they can smell each other, hear each other, not see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's nice when you're doing introductions and you're not sure how it's going to go to try to separate, to try to separate the pieces out. Mm-hmm. So you can, se- you, you can separate smell sometimes from hearing and seeing. So I haven't done this, but you could um, get this, get the, something that smells like the dog or the cat and then just put it in the other animals area. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they're just being introduced to that, you know, and then they can hear them and then finally they can see them, you know? So some animals might not need any of that. Some animals might not, might need weeks of just one thing. You know what I mean? Um, now my dogs are, are trained, right? And so they'll lie down and they'll stay there. Um, I like to introduce them with crates so I might like open the door and my dogs will be lying down in, in crates so that if the kittens want to come up, um, you know, they can, they can see them. They could maybe sniff through the crate, but it's not. So it's like, it's like levels of interaction, you know, mm-hmm. there's a door, if the door's open, they're still contained mm-hmm. or maybe there's a, a, a baby gate situation, the crates is even more contained. Right. Right. If you're not sure and you have crate trained dogs, that's a good way to start it. If that works well, then you could do a baby gate, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and try to, try to, you know, do a few interactions within each stage just to make sure that you can go to the next stage. So, you know, if someone is, is hissing or running away or something like that, um, then, go to the previous stage. So if the crates was too much, um, you know, just close the door so that cat doesn't have to see them and then use food as like a gauge of the cat's comfort level. You know, like, can you now eat tuna? You know, if that door is closed, can you come out and, or can you play, use playfulness or eating? Mm -hmm. Um, usually they're more, uh, Usually they'll eat before they're able to play. Like if they're, if they're uncomfortable play behaviors, not going to happen. Right. So if you, if they're eating, then you can see if they can play, you know, and just leave it there. Don't, don't then open the door again, you know, leave that session as it was, you know, so go really slow each step, make sure that the cats can interact with you, um, are showing curiosity, but not, like wanting to decrease distance, not increase distance, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if they're not hissing, but they might not be wanting to come right up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so just c- c- kind of look at that. Now, if you have dogs that aren't, my dogs are used to cats coming in, mm-hmm. you know, and they're trained. So if you have dogs that aren't, then you have double the work that I do. Cause I'm focusing on the cats. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have dogs and you want to add a cat and you haven't gotten it yet, um, then I would make sure the dogs are crate trained because that would be easy. 
Also, I'd make sure that they can be okay on the other side of a door. Because if you have a dog, say, with separation anxiety and you close the door and then you have a cat, your dog is going to go nuts. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to help anybody. Um, So I'd make sure that they can be on the other side of a door. Um, I'd also look at, I'd make sure that there weren't any um, potential dangers associated with resource guarding. Because, like, say, I wanted, I want to train my dog, for example, to, you know, take treats from some kind of enrichment toy. Like I mentioned, a snuffle mat, you know, stuff. A Kong is another one. Um, a look a mat. Look a mat sponsored me once, and I have like they sent me like fifty of them. So I'm always using. They're like these little rubber mats with different like grooves and stuff that you can like put wet food or different things, and then they have to like lick through something so it's not just like here's a treat they've eaten it and it's gone but some make sure that they could like lie down um in a crate and then i also train them to go to a, a mat mm-hmm. right and, and stay there so see if they could lie down on a mat you could put the mat in the crate you could also take it out of the crate so they're practicing mat in different places you know with a treat that's going to last a long time some enrichment thing with the door closed and then with the door open a bit, but there's a baby gate there. Um, you know, because you want them to be comfortable being not, you know, loose right in your face. Right. And I mean, if you're having a baby, I'd say a similar more <laughs> thing. Yeah. Right. Um, that, so that they're not, their stress level isn't raised cause they've been put away and they're not used to it. Make that, a relaxing time to chew on your whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so you want to make sure that that's going on. And so from that room, um, they graduate to my criteria for graduating from the room is that the dogs can be on mats and the kittens can be just out walking around. Right. And, you know, there's always like high things to jump onto and, you know, mm-hmm. places to get away. And, um, I can tell my dogs to not chase them. So ag- again, you know, the dogs have a certain level of education, but, um, it's not that they don't want to. My one border collie is, is super hurdy, um, you know, and, and very stocky, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, you know, so it's, it's work there too. But, you know, if the cats are able to kind of walk around, I'll, I'll have a baby gate up usually. So the dogs are on the other side of it, but they're loose. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the cats can walk around, come up to the gate if they want to not. So that would be my criteria. So they don't have to be able to be in the room together with no barrier mm-hmm. before I graduate them. What I do next is downstairs, I create another kitten enrichment zone in my living room which is a large room and I can baby gate like across the wall. So I can like separate it and make it two rooms. Mm-hmm. And at that point I don't have the dogs, you know, in a crate or on a station, but the, the dogs, um, the, the dogs acknowledge gates, even though I'm sure they could just get over them or whatever, but they're pretty good about, I see a gate. So, um, so they're just on one end doing their thing. And I make sure because I don't have, a, I'm not going to have a resource guarding problem with them and the cats um, that they've got lots of bones, lots of things to chew. Otherwise, yeah, they want to come up to the gate. They want to look through it. They might like wine or something like that. My border collie will want to like 
stare and being like a stocky position that can be intimidating. Right. So I give them lots of stuff to chew and work on. Um, and so they're on their side and they want to see me. So even though I'm on the other side with the kittens, I have to kind of like divide my time yeah. um, because, because they're fine if the door is closed, but if I'm there and there's only a thin gate separating us, that's sad for them. So, <laughs> you know, look, look at everybody involved and what they need, you know, and um, I'll bring a lot of the different toys and boxes and things from the upstairs room into the enrichment zone mm-hmm. downstairs. So the, the kittens have, have you go, you know, Oh, this is what we do where we play and I'll hide food or whatever. And, and, and in a new, and also the couch is there and they could go under it. Um, if they wanted to, they can climb on the couch, hop over the gate and be in the dog room, but then they could come right back. So they actually have freedom because I'm not going to contain the cats um, to come out and explore, but they know that they have that space. It's got high things to climb up, couch to go under, etc. And the dogs aren't going to come into that area. Um, and then the other really cool thing that I got is like, it's like a cat tunnel that they can see through. It's like got mesh and stuff. And um, it's right. I put it right next to, the gate mm. the dogs come up and want to like sniff them and stuff. And they're and they're interested. Um, like Mochi was interested right away for my current cats and, and Gigi wasn't. So he'd find like the farthest place to be and just kind of watch them. Right. But Mochi would be like, yeah, let me at them. <laughs> um, so if you're old enough to remember when Scooby-Doo had a, I think nephew named Scrappy, that's my, that's my cat. So, um, it wasn't really for her sake, but for my, my border collie ever, who was trying very hard to not be hurdy, um, she'd go into the tunnel and then they could sniff her and she'd be within this mesh thing. Mm -hmm. And if she didn't, if she didn't still want to be sniffed or whatever, she could just come out of it and go somewhere else. So it gave them like even another layer of like interacting with like this barrier that they could, choose or not like a a filtered view a filtered view and um that became like a big playing point that she'd go in and she'd shove her paw through it and then always come up and nose it you know before playing without it Mm -hmm. Um, so i really like that thing and it's like it's like a tunnel that attaches to like you know like a pyramid shaped thing with a hole in it she can pop in and out and um so she actually um, plays with like I've never had this had this type of interaction before with a dog and a cat that she actually like um, initi- initiates being chased by my border collie and then they they play together like I you know my dogs and cats have always been like tall you know tolerant or they might like sleep on the same couch together um, but these guys actually actively play which is really cool and then I have another cat that I think thinks he's a rabbit. <laughs> Um, so, so anyway, um, yeah, so Mochi didn't really need, and in fact, um, she, she really started in the, uh, the kitten enrichment zone downstairs. I didn't even make, I didn't even do that separate room for, um, cause she was just so bold coming out the gate, but, um, and I didn't do the separate room for Gigi either because he had, he had Mochi, um, 
And uh, looking back on it, I don't, I, I think that was fine. I don't think I regret not adding that first piece in. Um, but for another cat, I might. And especially if it was an older cat that, you know, that wasn't sure. Or if I didn't have another cat that was so like, let's go play with me. Come over here, do this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then I would, you know, or, or if I was fostering, then I would start again with the, the closed room upstairs before moving it. Um, and so, you know, at this point, I'm, you know, you can use food and play as a gauge and also what kind of distance does the cat need um, to figure out their comfort level. I like making situations where the cats can leave their safe space, but know they can go back into it like a no dogs allowed area, Um, you know, and just having like different layers of possible interaction, you know, and and at some point I... You know, the cats are like spending more time on the dog side than the cat side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I moved the gates, yeah. you know, and I I did that. I, yeah, I, I can't remember which cat I did that with, and I decided, oh, I was we weren't ready for that, and I so you just put them back, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so and again, you know, a similar thing if you have a. A, a you know a kid too so just kind of manage your environment make sure they've got like enrichment activities and stuff to to do you know keep keep watching them see if they need less or more and just kind of take it day by day you know yeah um, and at night like you have to i don't you know everyone's sleeping arrangements is different so my dogs usually sleep with me um, but I want to bond with the cats and have them sleep in my room too. So, you know, I'll just create my dogs for a few nights. The cats feel like they can come in and out without the dogs coming up. And then at some point, you know, that's, that stops, you know, and I don't have like a hard and fast rule for when it stops or whatever. Yeah. I think, you know, a, a th- because you're talking a lot about, you know, the cats are the, and their comfort level is, the focus because your dogs have all of these skills right. even ever who struggles with some things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have a couple of questions about a, like how, how did you train ever to at least be able to like hold her shit together? Right. <laughs> um, you know, against border collie instincts, right. Do all of these potentially freaky things, you know, cats would hate. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, also with the safe space where the cats can venture into the dog area and then move back. um, Do they ever get chased back or are they choosing? Has that ever happened? I don't. Huh. Um, I'm not going to say it's never happened. It probably has, but not enough times that it's like a significant thing that I've been like, Oh, you know, um, cause that but, theoretically would be a big issue that it's not feeling really safe. If they're not choosing to go back, they're like, Oh crap. <laughs> you know, like I have right, to go right. back. No, no, it, yeah. it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's possible. Um, 
I'm trying to think if I have like a specific memory or example, but uh, theoretically that would happen if that you didn't have control of the dogs with any kind of, right. you know, right. if, or, if you were concerned about that, um, yeah, you'd, you'd have to change the setup a little bit and, uh, you know, depending on like your space and what you have, uh, there's various options to, to changing the setup. And I would definitely always have like high, you know, up high things. Uh, you might need to, to like be out there and have your dog on a leash while the cat is exploring, for example. I mean, like, you know, I'll once I'm at that level, I'll leave the room and go do whatever. But if you, cause I'm not concerned, but if you are, then, then yeah, you need to, you know, have the dog on a leash, not, not leave the dogs out, like give the ch- cats a chance to go, you know, back and forth between that space with the dogs, not there or create the dogs. Um, so, you know, put the dogs in another room. So again, you're going to need, your dogs are going to need to be able to be somewhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or on the other side of something without, you know, being upset about that. So yeah, you want to minimize that as, as much as possible, you know? Um, yeah. So what kind of work have you done? Let's use ever as an example, um, to proof (laughs) for lack of a better term, um, any kind of map behaviors and interrupters or anything you need to get that stare under control, um, case, um, especially with, you know, cats as a distraction, since you don't have as much control over them um, as you would right. any other kind of distraction. Um, so I had toddlers when I adopted Ever, and I did have cats at that time. Um, but the cats that were alive at that time were old, super dog savvy, F you kind of cats. Mm-hmm. You think you're going to you know, chase us, whatever cats, right. I mean, whatever dog. Um, so I mostly actually worked with ever around the kids and then, um, was able to, to generalize when, um, I, t- I took in a litter of foster kittens and, um, that's when I sort of made up the protocol that I'm saying to you, cause she needed all those different layers of doors and crates and, um, as the, as well as the kittens needing them, needing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worked a lot with her about not hurting and chasing my kids. I, as you know, Naomi, I have, uh, twins and they're nine and a half. So that, you know, they were little mm-hmm. and, uh, sorry, I've got a dog sticking his long, sad nose on my lap. <laughs> um, so how distracting of you. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, ta- I worked with her on some of my, you know, basic games for my control unleashed program that, you know, so one of the big ones is look at that game, which isn't really about looking at something else. It's about noticing something in the environment and turning back to me. And, um, you know, that's a big one for dogs. Uh, like, you know, many border collies, but not all that have a strong eye like border collie. Oh, there she is. 
four or five people will call it I with like a capital E mm-hmm. and it's, it's connected to like the motor pattern that of stalking. Um, so it's a strong look, you know, stare. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and if you see your dog having, having that rather than just like noticing the cat or looking at the cat casually, if you see them going into like a lower type pose or a harder look, um, chasing is maybe next. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to, uh Oh, it's loud now. You want, you want to work on how they're looking at the cat mm-hmm. before they go into the next thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So the look at that game teaches them to um, notice it quickly and then kind of interrupt themselves, turn back to you for a treat so they don't go into the next step if they were going to of noticing something versus sort of locking onto it. And then the intensity builds and you go from stock to chase. That's part of a predatory motor pattern. Um, so, so, you know, she had that, that's one thing I would do. Um, I have lots of people um, that work with cats that have used it for cats as well. Like at shelters mm-hmm. and different things. And that one, uh, strong default behavior is a big one for her. So what that means is um, I let the dog, my cats have always had sit as the default behavior cats. It's very easy to reward them for sitting and then they offer it when they want things. Mm-hmm. But um, dogs, I'll let them pick whatever behavior has like a reward history, you know, maybe a sit or a down. If some dogs are um, physically uncomfortable, they want to stand then, you know, or they're show dogs and they don't, people get really superstitious about sitting. They want to just do eye contact, but it's some kind of stationing behavior that whether it's a visual stationing or a body part is on the ground. um, It's a stationary stationed behavior that's been rewarded enough times that if they read a context where there's something that they'd like, rather than using like an instinctive way to get it going up and taking it, they're like, Oh, this behavior always works. This is the button to press. And they do that thing, whether it's a sit or down looking at you and then they, and then they get the thing. So um, that's what I call a default behavior because they, if they want something, they're going to default to that one first rather than an instinctive one. Mm Mm-hmm. So that becomes like a way of life. And again, it depends on the animal. Some animal, some dogs might, it might not matter at all, you know, but I I have, you know, a house of cats and toddlers, you know, that run around with balloons, which makes ever think that there's like flying sheep in the house. (laughs) Balloons are like, Oh my God to her. Um, so uh, I have some funny videos too, but anyway, so she learned if you want access to balloons, if you want whatever, um, offer sit, and that's going to, that's going to make those things happen. So, um, and you, you get to that level by just literally just, it's not fancy. It's a very simple, but you have to reward it every single time and just make it a lifestyle that this is how you get, this is how you get things, you know? And, um, and then, you know, notice and, look back. Oh, and another, another big one is, um, my mentor who was, who at the time was the, um, director of the vet behavior clinic at Penn. Her name is Dr. Karen overall. And she has this whole thing about, uh, biofeedback that you can, you can teach, you know, capture and reward behaviors that the dog's doing like to get a treat for you 
but that also have also are connected to a physiological response mm-hmm. relax the dog and so the first one is is getting them to take a deep breath um on cue for a treat so they look at you and they like poof their nose and they take a big inhalation and so um they're doing it as a trick but it doesn't matter because they're starting to calm down anyway and uh so that was so i like to add that into look at that game so it's like glance at something don't get stuck there turn back look at me take a deep breath you know and they're offering their sitter down so it's like some relaxation counter conditioning type work around stuff that might elicit uh excited response you know so i just did so much of that with her she's just been flooded in it and that's not to say that she's perfect non-hurting automaton but i give you know i give her um i give her lots of ways to be able to do that you know a few the kids are running with balloons now uh water guns in the summer what whatever um they've got a million stuffed animals they like playing with it ever would also like playing with but it's like she'll show me where they are like that's how my dogs get paid they like they look towards the thing that's happening they look back at me and in my head, the conversation's like, Hey, you know, they're running with balloons again. I saw that I'm sitting and looking at you now and I'll go great. And I'll go get a balloon and give it to them. So whatever, um, you know, whatever they want, as long as I can give it to them, I, I will, you know? Um, so it's always a high rate of reinforcement. I'm, I'm not a trainer to ever be like, and now that they've done it X number of times, you can fade out your rewards. I'm like, like I said the other day on a podcast or something like someone asked that question and you know, like when can I stop feeding them or whatever? And I said, look, I'm your dog's Jewish mother. And the answer is I'm going to keep feeding them like period. Um, you know, if they're not chasing toddlers and, and cats and they're lying down and showing me that they're breathing, I'm like, sure. And it might not be a treat, but it's going to be something that they wanted, you know? Yeah, that was going to be the question that I know everyone would be thinking is like, okay, well, what if we can't give them the functional reinforcer of chasing the kid or chasing the cat? Right. Um, right. You know, then get a dog that wants balloons, right? <laughs> and give them a tree, right? Something you know, else that something, yeah, do something. Yeah. Um, another a big reinforcer in my house is I open the um the sliding door and they run outside. You know, so if they have some kind of like energy running need, right. they can do it yes. towards a yes. more appropriate. Well, you know, they get rewarded for like their default behaviors and they're stationary, but they might get rewarded for that. You know, with oh my, the kids are wrestling and I'd really like to jump on them. I'm going to look back at you and I'll go, go outside. And then they're like, oh my God, she said the words. And then they run play outside. Then I can shut the door. Right. Yes, that was exciting, but I didn't mean it. My dogs were like, um... Uh-oh, uh-oh you said words. <laughs> I said words. The door is now shut. <laughs> um, so that's a, that's a really big one, and I also use that one for, like, transitional, you know, any kind of, like, transitional time. Got um, it. So, you know, and I'll, I'll send them out preemptively. So if my kids are going to do whatever... Do, you know, whatever game in the living room or like my daughter is, they're doing circus now at her school, which they do in fourth grade. And she's unicycling all over the freaking house. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's like, if I know something is coming, I'll be like, please let the dogs out. 
and they do that so they don't get jumped on because ever will jump on them when she reaches a point. So it's like your goal is always help them deal with, handle more and more and more things before they reach that point where they can't help it. You know, so her point went from from like as soon as they start moving to they can move and do lots and lots of stuff before she gets there, but it, at some point um, it's too much. So it's like if you're going to do that, let them out. Right. And the kids learn that, and they and they know that. You know, so if I hear them being like, "Ever go outside?" I'm like, "What are, what are they gonna? What are they planning?" Because it's going to be something really loud and insane. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's always the like calm before the storm where you're like, oh god, right. something's gonna happen. You know, if only but- cats could uh, open the door. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> well, I guess and their they- version would be like jump up, right? They're wrestling and they're seeing the dogs getting agitated, then they can they can learn to stop, right? Um, exactly. And you know, basically negatively re- reinforce the jumping up to somewhere right. Else. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if I'm there and Evers, cause um, if there's one cat, that's quite different from two cats playing. Um, and so if she's starting to like want to run up to see if the kittens are playing, then yeah, I just, I just call her and tell her to go outside. Um, if I wanted to train in that moment, then maybe I would have treats and have her stay and look at them and turn back and breathe and then give her, you know, an enrichment thing. So she's in the room, but she's occupied. Mm-hmm. You know, like That's the kind of thing I do if I was training, but 99% of the time I'm just living my life in my house. So I'm going to be like, ever go outside. And then she will. And it's over and the kittens are playing, yeah. you know? So it's always up to you and your, you know, <laughs> your emotional resources, <laughs> you know, yeah. what, what are you going to do? But um, you know, but you at least have to manage to the level that everybody is, is safe. No one's uncomfortable past that. Yeah. You can train the heck out of everybody or you can just open a door, you know, right? and you don't have to choose one or the other. Do what you can do to have peace in your house, you know? Amen. Amen. Right. <laughs> so, Soundbite right there. Um, yeah. Like my, my friend that's a therapist says like good enough parenting, aim for good enough parenting. Don't, Try to be part, just, you know, and this this is the same thing. Yeah. Good enough at parenting. Fine. (laughs) Yeah. And, and people often like forget, especially if they are so invested in their animals, they forget to factor themselves in and like they push too far. That's right. You know, that's right. Like if you don't want to train and you just want to veg on your couch and like do nothing, you know, just give them something else to do. You don't have to worry about it. You don't always have to be doing setups or whatever. Um, Right. Let yourself relax if you can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is why it's important for the dog to be able to do that. Right. And maybe it is in another room because of whatever your situation is. Yeah. You know, so they have to learn that that's, that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. But once, once they're comfortable with that, then, then yeah, do what you're going to do, you know, otherwise it's going to be stressful. If you're not feeling like it and you're not, like I enjoy doing that stuff mm-hmm. um, and the animals are enjoying it while they're doing it. And if you're, if you're not in that space and it's more like we need to practice you staying and you're not going to move. And then it's like, it's stressful on everybody, you know, it's like, then don't. Yeah. 
put them somewhere yeah. else and watch your movie or, you know, or maybe you just have to work. Like, don't <laughs> expect yourself to, you know. Exactly. So. Yeah. So my last question is actually based on a lot of things that I've already talked to previous guests about um, and just lots of things that I hear whenever I'm talking to people who are knowledgeable about your games. Um, and so many of them specifically mention Control Unleashed games as being kind of integral to their own processes with introducing and integrating their cats and dogs. And cool. it's worked for a lot, a lot of people. Now, my question is actually, um, on the flip side, there are things that you could be doing totally wrong <laughs> with Control Unleashed, especially inside your house. I think a lot of CU stuff was meant to be done in a larger space, <laughs> perhaps, um, or at least where you can be a little bit more under threshold. So are there common mistakes that people make when using CU games when integrating let's say beings in their house, <laughs> not even just cats and dogs. Um, so common mistakes, and you already said the T word, I think mm -hmm. the threshold word. Um, so, I mean, control and leash is not like some magical separate thing from training. It's just training. And you can make the same mistake with any training of, um, of, of pushing too far too fast. Right. Um, so, the, you know, the main thing, and a lot of control and leash is meant to be counter conditioning. So rather than like obedience or like telling the dog to do something, it's like changing the dog's feelings or opinions about what's happening, giving it a different association. Um, and because of that, it's even more important, you know, to work with them under a threshold point. And so by threshold, we mean like there's a, there's a point where you're, functioning, you're happy, you're learning, you're curious, you're in like an exploring type of interested mood in what's happening. And you need, you need to um, introduce learning at that, at that point, past that point, maybe you're a little bit stressed, you know, so there's a spectrum between like, um, the cat's willing to eat and play, but maybe it's looking at the dog a lot of times, just to know where it is in the room. And you have to decide is that your threshold point? And now you're going to move the dog farther away, you know, versus like the cat is now hissing and under the couch. That would be like an extremer end. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to like know enough about your animal and what they're doing to be like, Oh, I don't think they're quite where I want them to be for learning right now. Um, and then you, what you, that is a cue to you to change your conditions. Right. Mm -hmm. So, in behavior speak, you set up your antecedents, you know, you set up your environment um, so that animal has a good learning experience. And if you look at them and you're like, the breathing changed, they, they're looking at some, you know, like you, you can see they look tense rather than loose in their body. So, you know, like my definition of threshold often you know, it's a lot more conservative than someone else's definition. They might not notice there's an issue until the dog is barking and lunging. Mm -hmm. Oh, over threshold. And, and I'm like 10 minutes previously, I would have been like over threshold because yeah. he's not asking, he's not somehow asking to keep, to keep doing this exactly how it is. Right. right. So that's the one thing about, um, 
being like an experienced trainer or that knows body language or whatever that we're, that we can work with that. I like to come up with games so that um, people, they're pretty simple. They're easy for people without like a previous skill level um, to do mechanically. Um, But the threshold piece is still going to, going to be in there in terms of how successful you're going to be, how many times you need to do it. What, what are they really learning here? So um, in terms of, in terms of distance needed for CU um, in a house, I mean, if, you know, if you can't separate one room, you know, if you can't put a barrier and make one room into two spaces, then you put a baby gate in there and another room somewhere else. I mean, you just have to work with, the space that you have. I mean, you don't need like a giant field with one dog at the other side of it um, to do the CU, like the pattern games we do where to integrate, you know, each animal is doing some little predictable patterned mm-hmm. thing. Um, one that um, some of my friends that work with cats like doing is called super bowls. You put a treat down and it doesn't have to be a bowl, but some little visible station on the ground they eat it and then they look back up at you when they're looking at you, it takes you to the next little bowl. Um, and so they're they're I like to put animals in control. Like they're telling you to move and give them a treat and go to this spot next, you know, and the spots might be leading up to the baby gate and there's a dog on the other side of it. So if they don't want to go forward, they don't look at you because looking at you is going to make you go to the next station, you know? And so, Games like that, where the animals are controlled telling you where to go, can give you more information. If you're not sure about reading their threshold behaviors, you can go, oh, well, he wanted to go to the third bowl towards the gate, but at the fourth bowl, he started sniffing or, like, licking the previous bowls, or, you know, he wandered off, and he, he, you know what I'm saying? So then you go, oh, what should I do? Um, You know, you can move the bowls so they're farther away, you could create, create the dog. So even if you can't increase space in the house, you can still put more levels of barriers. You know, it's something, it's something that you play with. You get information from the animal, um, as to how to set things up and then you play with it. Yeah. Um, so if, if something's going wrong, you have to look first at, you know, what are, what's the environment? What are the conditions you've set up and how can you redo this? Um, you know, so that's the main thing. And in terms of the look at that game, um, because we are putting a cue on, on seeing something like, where's that kitten? And then they look, and then they look back at you. If they're over that threshold point and they're excited and you're saying, where's that kitten? And they're stalking the kitten. Then yes, they're going to associate, hearing those words with being excited and stalking kittens. So um, don't say them, you know, like if they're already like that, then they need more space. They need other things, you know, Um, you know, reward, you know, just eating, taking deep breaths and eating at a certain distance, even if they're in a crate, it's not facing the other animals, you know, or something like that. Um, You have to just figure it out for your space and then set them up for success, mm-hmm. you know, no one to say what thing, um, you know, but those are, just, those are common issues that, that happen, you know? 
with learning. But the good news is when you are in your house, it might be less space or harder to figure out how you want to set it up, but you're also in control because you're in your house. You're not out. You're not in public. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you need to shut a door, if you need to put an animal here or there, you can put a cat in a crate too, you know, if you need to. Um, you can, you know, you can, you can use leashes, then take them off. And then if you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, you put them back on, you know, you're safe and you're in control. So that's the good, that's the good part about doing this stuff in your house. Yeah. And definitely, I mean, a lot of people don't think about training the cats with these games as well. So if you want to have more. Yeah, you can. Cats like it. I mean, for, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not just working on the dogs, being able to ignore them, but it's just like, if you want to even have just more options for moving the cats around the space, they can do super bowls while the dog watches and right. plays. Look at that. Or something like that. That's, that's um, Yes. That's perfect, Naomi. And that's what I call a parallel game. You know, there's two animals. There may be a barrier separating them. They've each got their predictable tasks to do. And yeah, dogs need to be able to watch the cats move around and and do things, you know, which again, you know, if they've got like a a mat, you know, lying down behavior and they're, and they can breathe and eat and watch cats without getting stuck and the cats are doing something else. Um, And that makes me think um, the Super Bowls thing you can also you can also do like enrichment toys rather than like one treat per little mm-hmm. station. But you know, a, a, make like a circle of wiki mats because you know I have them. <laughs> you know, and the cats can just walk around and eat things and explore, and the dogs can watch. Well, my cats are very into looking mats. They I got like big dog sized ones, so they'll just like stand on it and lick the cat food from it. You know, <laughs> and um, again, if you have a resource guarding issues you have to be careful because like you know i mean my dogs want the lick mats but like no one's gonna get hurt if the cats are standing on them licking them you know um so that that always makes it more interesting right okay that's another episode <laughs> that's a whole other episode but um but yeah we're we're we i went to a shelter with a friend of mine the other day um and it, we worked with the dogs but um yeah we put out treats and cardboard boxes and all kinds of things. And they were learning to be near the other dogs or the new volunteers while, you know, doing that stuff. So they've got something to do. It's predictable. It's fun while something's happening around them and they're getting used to that thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, cats, my cats, um, I start with like their, their name and like some recall work and I do some stationing. I just capture it. So they're, they, are sitting at a certain little chair that I have, then they copy each other. So like when I get a new cat, I already usually have a cat that goes and sits in their little chair and then gets a treat. So then the other cat does it. So, um, you know, so they're learning to like be operant and offer behavior and, and that type of stuff too. Um, so yeah, you definitely, I mean, cats are, cats are pretty game, you know? And if you have a cat that is, um, you call finicky and they're not eating or whatever then. Cause um, that was the case with, with Gigi. And um, I kept kind of changing how far away the dogs were with the, not letting the dogs come up. And um, because he, you know, the first few days he was here, he'd be like a puff and he'd go to the other side of his area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he wanted to come out and be more interactive um, but he was only eating like the highest value food. Like he would eat 
um, like steak would be near the dogs, but he wouldn't eat like a temptation. Right. You know? And uh, so I've just kind of, you can use that as a gauge too. So you keep playing with it until, you know, they'll, they'll eat something that seemed lower value or play, you know? Mm -hmm. So right now he'll eat, he'll eat anything. Um, but he won't necessarily like come out and play. Like my hand is a kitten, you know, and Mochi will play even if a dog is like, I don't know, <laughs> chewing on her head I'll or something. Her, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she'll come out if I want to like tap, tap with a finger, you know, but um, that's also her. So you have to kind of, what is the fact that he's not as playful versus, you know, it's like everyone's different and you have to just get to know everybody and, Think of it like, you know, this is a team. Everyone has the same goal. I, well, maybe not, but your goal <laughs> is for everybody to just, you know, to have a peaceful household. And even if that's not their goal, that's still their job. And we now we have to just figure this out, you know? Yeah. That makes, I like the idea of offering as many kind of different enrichment options as possible. Um, a lot of people you know, if they're not actively like working on reps and all of that stuff, they're like, you know, it's, it's not as good. Um, but I would actually venture to say like the easier, like you started, the easier, the better do right. as little as you can in order to interfere to the point that, you know, everyone's yeah. safe and everyone is happy. Um, right. And learning and it, each other. It, it still develops the relation, a working relationship with you because you're the one that's coming in and refilling things and doing things. And, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. These have, this has been really awesome and clarifying. I am really happy to talk with the origin of <laughs> you as the, as the nexus of these games. Um, Cause you know, the, the, you, there's a lot of different ways to riff on something so simple yeah. in theory um, right. that things can get lost. So I'm really happy yes. that we were able to, to chat. Um, yes. Do you have the best way? I know you're focusing mostly on your certification program. If people have any questions or want to learn more about you or Control Unleashed, um, what's the best way to get that information or get in contact with you? Um. I'm better these days at answering messages on Facebook. If you are on Facebook, I'm not great with my email. Um, I have a group on Facebook called friends of control unleashed that you can join at any time and then ask questions. I've got a bunch of my certified instructors on there. I always tell them to answer questions and interact with people. I'm on there too. Um, so that would be one, you know, one way to find out, what's going on or contact me. I have a website that I haven't updated since 2007 because we've already, we've already discussed my, my brain. So, um, yeah. So rather than emailing me through it, which you could do, um, I would probably try to find me on social media first. If you, if you have a question, <laughs> Hey, if that's the answer, find her on Facebook guys. Um, she, she answers questions. And talks to I, I do. If you, if you can find me, like I saw, I saw the message, then yeah, <laughs> I will. 
Um, and also your conference. So if you're, it's a virtual conference, right? So you can, yeah. people can purchase the recordings. I know it yes. happened fairly recently. Um, yes, we just had our second one uh, recently. You can still purchase the recordings from both the 2020 and 2021 conferences. If you go to Clean Run, which is my publisher, cleanrun.com, if you type in the search conference unleashed various options will come up um you know and there are cats dogs horses and some zoo animals in the uh, <laughs> in the in the mix of those videos um so you can go and look and, and see what's there so awesome well thank you so much leslie i appreciate the chat more than you know and cool. i hope that um this was fun for you too. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If this episode helped you feel less alone in your struggles with your cats and dogs, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Your support helps other people find this show and get access to cat and dog specific content. You can also follow me on Instagram at praiseworthypets. I'd love to hear your suggestions for who I should interview next. And if your pets aren't getting along, you want to improve their relationship, but you just don't know how to do it, I'm opening up a new course soon that takes you step-by-step -step through the merits method, from establishing your management plan to training your core behaviors to set creating setups that will take your pets from cranky to coexisting. Go to praiseworthypets.com slash course to get on the wait list. And that's all for this episode, you wonderful cat and dog people. See you next week for more It's Training Cats and Dogs. Mm -hmm.